Amen. So let's pray together. Father, we pray now that you would use your word to speak to us. We know that we can't trust our own feelings and emotions, but we do know that as followers of Christ, you live inside us by your spirit. So speak to us from within, clarify with our minds what is written in this book, and empower us by your spirit to walk with you and even represent you to a world that needs Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So this morning, before I begin, I just want to remind you that tomorrow's Veterans Day, and uh, we want to always encourage those who have served our country. I'm curious who we have here that has served or is in active duty right this minute. Would you just stand for a minute so we can thank you for your service? Anyone else that has served? All right. Thank you. And Armando, we're glad you're with us and active duty and served in some very precarious places, and we're glad God's protected you and allowed you to be here and worship with us today. I saw something really cool. It came from an internal email from First Baptist Church Woodstock that the uh, funeral home in Roswell has seven uh, unidentified World War II vets, uh, and they are taking them on Tuesday to the Memorial Cemetery to bury them. And uh, they've asked that the different locales, they've asked that people stand with flags on the side of the road as those uh, hearse go by. And so First Baptist Church Woodstock staff is planning on doing that. We live right on Highway 92. So we're going to take our World War II vet down to the end of the driveway and, uh, and let him acknowledge those. So if any of you have time in the middle of the day, I think they leave Roswell at like 1 o'clock, the funeral home there, and they'll be making their way down Highway 92 over to go to the Memorial Cemetery. So that's a pretty special honor that we get, and I hope that you are kind to those in service. KK's made me thank everybody I see in a uniform, and so it really gets hard and sometimes in the airport because there's so many there, all right? But I hope you will take time to thank those who serve, including the police and first responders. So today as we come to the scripture, we're trying to make room in our hearts for God to move. And I want to ask you about this one word, the word peace. Is there any way that someone would describe your life with the word peace? Any way that you would ever say, I am personally a person and experiencing peace in my life. What about your home? Is it a place of peace? Some of you today uh, have great conflict in your home, and some of you have great love that permeates your home. It may be extremely active with children, and it may not always seem peaceful, but it is a place where the presence of God is known and it's a place of peace. What about your workplace? Is it filled with drama? Constant politics? Conflict? Or is it a place of peace? Would anyone ever think when they're having conflict to turn to you and come to you as a person of peace? I know one time when my son was out in Boise planting a church, uh, one night they had a knock at the door and they said, quick, you need to come. He said, why? He said, the, the old guy's about to kill the two lesbians down the street, and you, you need to come. He said, why me? He said, well, you're like a chaplain or something. Would you come? And, and uh, they'd call the police because there was so much conflict, but 
Josh, in one way, thought, you know, I guess it's pretty cool that they know that I love everybody and I, I don't want them to be, have such a big fight going on right here on our street. So could that be you at work? Would they think of you as a person that can either bring peace to a situation because they've seen the peace of God in your life? What about your relationships? Are they relationships of peace? It seemed like so many people have been attracted to my youngest daughter through the years. And she seems to always have people in her life that just have incredible problems that she's always trying to serve. But we tell her it's her own fault by the way she cares and puts down the drawbridge of her life to invite them to come into her presence. What about you and your friends? Would you ever use the word peace to describe it? Your extended family. It got... Could that be a place of peace? In case you haven't looked yet, it's November. And over these next few weeks, there will be all kinds of holiday gatherings. Do you dread them? Or do you anticipate it being a time of great peace? If you're grown and have children, you walk into your parents' home and you feel like a child again. <clears throat> it's amazing when the kids and grandkids come home, they walk in, it's like, why are we suddenly in charge of everything, you know? But is it, is it a place of peace? What are you thinking? Well, this morning, whether you noticed it or not, the word peace is used two times in this passage. And it's like a big thread, really, when it comes to understanding peace. It talks about the peace of God guarding your heart. It talks about the God of peace who is with you. So right now, we want to talk about what it means to make room in our hearts for peace. Let's think about a big picture of the Bible and the word peace for a minute. In the Old Testament, the word in the Hebrew, shalom, is often translated peace. Shalom would be a greeting even today in the Jewish world where you would greet people, hello, and you would say goodbye. If you're in the Arab world, it's salam. And so the, the greeting and the saying goodbye is all wrapped up in it, this idea of peace. Now, it means so much more than the absence of war. It means a sense of wholeness, a sense of completeness, uh, a wish that you're giving to someone that their lives will go well and that things will come together and they will fit. Peace. All throughout the Old Testament, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, the one who comes, and there'll be no end to his government, and there'll be no end to his peace. Isaiah said. So this morning, as we think about the Bible's picture of peace, we come to the New Testament and we see this word that's used to describe both the relationships that people have and what we have in our relationship with God. So this morning, I want you to see the contrast for a moment of what it means to have peace with God and what this scripture says about the peace of God. So let's draw a contrast between those for a moment. What does it mean to have peace with God? You hear somebody say, well, I've made my peace with God. Alex Trebek, if you watch Jeopardy, is coming near the end of his life. He's having all kinds of interviews. I haven't listened to any of them. I have no reason to believe that he's a personal follower of Christ, but what little things I've seen, even in the headlines of he's saying that he's at peace with what he's facing. Well, I wonder what that's based on. And what about you? 
have you made your peace with God? A lot of times people think that it's something they can do. They can do good things. And if they do enough good things, that they'll be accepted into God's presence when they die. So they, they hope they've made their peace with God. But that's not how it works. God's not sitting up in heaven going, okay, that's a good deed. Mm, boy, that was bad. And, you know, and then when you get before him, he's going to take the scales and he's going to weigh your good and your bad. And if, if you're fortunate, he'll put another little finger over there on the good part and let you into heaven. That's not how it works. The Bible says that God is so different from us. He is so other. He is so holy that there's nothing we can do to restore a relationship with him. And until we find ourselves in an absolute desperate place that we realize it's not by works of righteousness that we can do, but it's all according to his mercy that he has a relationship with us. God does not have a relationship to us because we are good. He has a relationship with us because he is good. And he decided to make a way for us to know him. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you've been singing that. So how does that work? Listen to Romans chapter 5 for a moment. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture goes on to say that he's the one that established the basis for a relationship. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this morning, before I can talk to you about knowing what it means to experience the peace of God, you need to settle in your own mind and heart, what does it mean to be at peace with God? The scripture says that he does not hold our sins against us. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. That is, when we come by faith to what Jesus did, and we make that great exchange. We give God our sinfulness. He gives us his righteousness. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come to the place that you've said, I know I need a Savior. I want Christ to be my Savior. At the end of the service, we're going to take time to come by the Lord's table. We're going to come and say, I know his body was broken for me. I know his blood was shed for me. Is that going to be true about you? You can already begin now to understand what it means to make your peace with God through Jesus. But in this passage, it talks about those who follow Christ and how we make room to experience the peace of God. So let's, let's break it down. Let's look at it starting in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, and look at what it says. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. What is the scripture establishing there as Paul is coming to the end of the letter? He's telling them, regardless of the conflict that you might be in, regardless of the situation where you may be living, if you will recognize God's presence and praise him, you can know his peace. There's something about God showing us that he is real and us responding back to him and praising him for who he is that establishes the basis of understanding that he is here. Look how that scripture ends in verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Many believe that he was saying the Lord's about to return. But whether 
you're expecting the Lord to return this afternoon or not, quite frankly, it doesn't matter what you expect. I mean, you know, he's going he's gonna to do what he's going to do, right? But knowing that we all will one day stand before him. This past week, I, I went to a funeral. My niece, actually my nephew's mother-in-law, kind of hard to draw a chart as to who the lady was, was killed suddenly last weekend in an accident. And we were walking around in the graveyard, and I was thinking, I kept hearing the scripture, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Every one of us, I can make you a 100% guarantee, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, all of us will be in the grave. Have we made our peace with God? Do we understand what it means to thank him for who he is and know that he is here? Right now, as you think about your life, can you praise the Lord always? It's interesting to me how inclusive these verses are. Go to the next verse and look at what it says. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. Are you noticing how nothing's left out of this? Rejoice in the Lord always. That, that's kind of all-inclusive, isn't it? And then it says here to do not be anxious about anything but in everything. I don't know what's robbing your peace this morning. I don't know what problems you face, but I want you to see the scriptures very clear on this pathway. Understanding the peace of God starts when we acknowledge who he is and we praise him. And the pathway continues when we come to that place. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Are you willing this morning to take whatever is robbing you of your peace, whatever problems you face, and take it and come to the cross of Calvary and look and see Jesus dying for your sin. And right there at the foot of the cross, representing his love and gift to you, you lay down what you can't control, what you can't fix, what is stealing you of your peace, and you give it to him in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, I mean, these are commands. Uh, before I've been talking about possibly some of you here that are not followers of Christ, how you can make your peace with God. But I, I want to speak now very straight and clearly to those of you who know you're a follower of Christ. This is not optional. Okay? These are not good things to suggest. This is God instructing his children. Here's what you have to do. You have to lay down your anxiety. There's just no place for it. There, there's no excuse for it. But that's the way I am. Well, that's the way you were, all right? But now if you're a follower of Christ, he instructs you in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Bring it to him and lay it down. And here's what happens when we praise him for who he is, when we pray and lay down what's before us, then we experience peace. Notice that this peace is a byproduct. It's a result. It happens after you do it. It happens when you do it. When you come to the Lord and you say, I can't handle this. And you hear him say, I never said you could. 
But if you turn to me, I've always said I would. And anything that is overwhelming you, confusing you, destroying you, when you bring it to him and you lay it down, the result is peace. You don't cause it, you receive it. The peace of God. Look how this peace is described. It's described as the peace of God which passes all understanding. So let me see if I can explain it to you. Well, that's a joke, right? How can I explain it to you? It passes all understanding. I can say this, though. If you have ever experienced it, you know it. I don't have to describe it. Because you have found in your heart the recognition of the presence of God. And you found in your heart the release that comes when you bring it and you lay it down before God. And the result is the peace of God which passes all understanding. And look at what it says it will do. It says that it will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So peace becomes for you a referee Peace becomes for you a guide. Peace becomes for you that indwelling sense of God's presence to put light on your situation. It passes all understanding and you know his presence so you know his peace. This week I had a call, actually a text from a a really close friend. It's funny how sometimes when you have a text conversation, you feel like you actually had a conversation, right? We, we had a text conversation. We didn't get to talk on the phone yet. But he wrote me and he told me about a really sad diagnosis he'd just received. He's not that old a man, but he'd just received word that he has cancer. And when he described what kind of cancer that it was, And it didn't take long to look it up to realize this really could be the beginning of the end of his life. And as we exchanged uh, back and forth, setting a time to talk this next week before he has surgery, I kept hearing back from him that he had the peace of God in this situation. I don't know if any of you have had a death check lately. That's what I call it when... You, you look into the face of a terminal illness and you have to just sit there for a minute and say, well, okay then, if this is it, then what should I expect? I've been there a couple of times with KK, looking across our little sitting area in the living room and talking about what was right before her and having to stop and say, well, if this is it, I, I have to tell you, we didn't jump straight to the finance stuff, you know, Uh, We didn't talk about uh, how to get the bills paid and what all was going to take place legally, financially. We talked about what it might be like in those final days of having to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready. You can take me home. And what it might be like for the one left. And in a strange way, there was an incredible peace. Why? Because we could figure it out. No, but because we absolutely believe that God is good and his ways are right and his presence will be real. Corey Ten Boone, some of you have heard of her life. 
her dad said to her, she said, Dad, I'm afraid to die. And her dad said, well, honey, it's okay. Most everybody's afraid to die because they've never made the trip. And she looked back at him, and he said, you remember when you were a little girl and we would go on the trip? And when would I give you the ticket to get on the train? She said, right before we got on the train. And he said, do you know why I waited till then to give it to you? She said, no. He said, because I knew you were a little kid and you'd lose it. And that's the way it is with God. He doesn't give us what we need to die until the time we die. And he gives us the ticket to get on the train. And he'll be there with us. Do you have that kind of confidence in God? That whatever you face, whatever you do, that he will be there and he is good and his ways are right. If you do, this is the only way I know how to describe it. You have a peace that passes all understanding. Because those without Christ can only calculate what they know in this economy of life. And those who know Christ know how to entrust themselves to eternal perspective of life. So Paul says, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But he goes on. He says, here's how your mind will be guarded. Look at these whatsoevers, all right? Nick went through them one by one. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence and if there be anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Each of these are listed just very consistently in the original text, just like it here, is here in English, and it's plural every time. If there are things that are true, and there are things that are honorable, and there are things that are just, and things that are pure, and things that are lovely, things that are commendable, things that are worthy of excellence and worthy of praise, those are the things you should be thinking about. I think it was Elaine one time, she said, yeah, uh, it's okay that you use all the football illustrations. I'm trying to decide. But, uh, you know, yesterday, I know this will surprise you, I was watching some college football, all right? And yesterday, as I was watching college football, I heard one of the announcers say, yeah, both of these coaches know how to, how to say the right things to the kids to know how to help them think right. And then they had a halftime interview, I think it was, or a pregame interview they showed, and the coach said, yeah, I just keep telling them, you're the best team. You're, you really are the best team. You're going to win because you really are the best team. And I thought about how it works in the economy of this world. It's called a positive mental attitude. And people say, hey, you can do this. Hey, you're the best. Hey, you're going to make this work. And they try to talk you into thinking you're good, even if you're not good, right? And it reminds me of the little train. I think I can, I think I can, I think I, you know, that's, but that's not how spiritual things work. This is not a positive mental attitude of talking yourself into something, hoping that you are better. This is the power of biblical thinking, knowing who God is and knowing what God wants. For most of you, you find yourselves, when there comes an attack, you can describe it in one of two ways. Something you're thinking, 
something you're feeling. And the feeling goes back to bad thinking, if you want to know how it was programmed. You, you thought something, and you put a feeling with it, and then it becomes part of your computer program, and then you have a feeling, and you don't know where it came from, but it came from something you thought on another occasion that wasn't biblically true about God or about you. But here the pathway is so clearly defined. Here's the kind of things that you should be thinking about. You should be thinking about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. You know, I thought about this part of the sermon and you. And I thought, do I bring that up? But now I just thought, I guess I'm going to have to bring it up. What you watch on television, what movies you attend, the outside world, people driving by, if they know this is a Baptist church, they say, you go in there and the preachers are going to tell you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I'm not giving you a bunch of don't lists this morning. But I do want to ask you, when you watch something, and you welcome it into your mind and in your heart, how does it compare to this list? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Sometimes we will be watching a program that we really like and go, oh no, not that. And we just have to think, how long can we put up with those oh no's till that's not our program anymore that we watch? You've got to decide. I trust you to decide. I, I trust the Spirit of God in you to decide. But here is a list from the Scripture representing what God is like and what God wants us to do. He wants us to think about these things. And then look at the next verse. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. <laughs> what he what it really says is what you've heard and what you've seen do, all right? This is what you do. It's not optional. He's saying if you want peace in your life, practice these things. And look at how it closes. This is how I know this is the thread that's kind of moving through it all. And the God of peace will be with you. How would you describe this passage as a unit? It's talking about the presence of God and the resulting peace from the presence of God. And here's kind of how you can check your peace meter. <laughs> All right? If peace is not there, then maybe God hasn't been welcomed into the activity. If peace is not there, maybe God has not been acknowledged in that part of your relationship. So how do we acknowledge him? I want to summarize it this way. Number one, we praise him and we recognize who he is. Number two, we respond to him and we pray and we lay it down. Number three, peace is the result, not something you cause or control. And then what do you practice? You practice the reigning, the ruling of Jesus in your life. Can we just make this as simple as possible? 
the word Lord. Do you call him Lord? I learned from a friend, I never want anybody to call me boss. You know, I didn't, I didn't allow it when I was the team leader or the senior pastor of a large staff. Don't call me boss. I'm not your boss, okay? I may have accountability to lead you, but, but I'm not your boss. But he is your boss. If you call him Lord, you call him sir, you say, I want to follow you. I want to do anything you want me to do. So I can, I can make a promise to you. When Jesus is welcomed into your mind, into your thoughts, into your relationships, even in the midst of conflict, you will know the peace that passes all understanding. Now, I read so many places in the scripture where the word peace was showing up. But I kept thinking of this one because when the passage starts in verse 2, we didn't read it. I entreat, and he calls a couple of ladies' names, Yodia and Synthica, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What is he calling out? He's saying there are a couple of ladies there that aren't getting along. And I encourage you to help them get along because their divisiveness and their side-taking does not represent the peace of Christ. As I walked through that graveyard this past week, I was there with a friend of mine, and we were looking for some graves of different people, including my grandparents, buried there in that particular cemetery. And I looked across the street at the church, and I said, so Russ, how's it going? He said, what do you mean? I said, I mean, you've been a leader here a long time. He said, he kind of hung his head and said, we don't go there anymore. And he looked up at me and he said, church should not be a place where you fight. And I said, I'm sorry, Russ. He said, been there all my life, all my family, everybody, but just couldn't take it anymore. He said, now we're going to a church down the street that and he told me where it was located, a new church, and it's really thriving and it's growing. And he said, you know, it's so cool. I walk in there on Sunday and I'm, I'm not in any position or I'm not running anything in the church. But man, do we experience the presence of God. And he said, there's so much peace in that. And I thought about this passage. Paul was saying, look, don't let those sweet ladies who've served, don't let them keep arguing because that's just not the way it's supposed to be in the family of God. It's supposed to be a place of peace. And then he goes into the explanation about how they could know it and they could do it. So I kept thinking of this verse in the book of Romans. Listen to what it says. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So let's apply that. What came to mind a moment ago when I was reading all those things? 
Is your home? No. Is your marriage? No. Is your work? No. I mean, all those places, no, no peace. You know, you check zero to ten, uh, how much peace is there, and you started going through them all. So now apply this verse. As far as it depends on you. This morning, I can't promise you if you walk around with the peace of God that passes all understanding, everybody that you meet is going to catch it. You know, a lot, of, a lot of good germs you can catch these days, but that's not necessarily one of them, okay? But I can promise this. As far as it depends on you, you decide you're going to live peaceably with all, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will show up in the person and work of Jesus in your life. So what about it? Have you made your peace with God? This morning, are you willing to bring to him all that you are and all that you have and call him Lord and discover the peace of God in your life? Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it works. We know that when we do what you've told us in your word, that you bring to us what you promised. And you've promised that when we bring to you everything by prayer and thanksgiving and give you our request, you've promised that your peace will be the result. So Lord, today I thank you that this place of worship is a place of peace. I thank you for the relationships that we are beginning to have with one another are safe places of peace. And I pray, Lord, as we grow in our faith and follow Jesus, and we do what you've said on the path that you've designed, that we will see and discover the peace that passes all understanding. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Would you look this way? As we come to the close of our service, in a moment we're going to stand to make it easier on you to slip out and come. If you need to talk with Johnny or me about your personal relationship with God, we'll be standing nearby. We can talk to you about personal faith with Jesus. If you don't have it, we can talk with you about anything that you'd like for us to pray with in your life that's robbing or stealing your peace. But this is the time, according to the scripture, that each of you get to preach a sermon. Because the scripture says every time you take of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. So if you know Christ today and you are willing to lay down to him everything that you are, fresh, that's part of why the Lord's table is so important as a time for us to examine our lives and renew the sense of his lordship in our life. You come and say, Lord, I thank you that your body was broken for me, that your blood was shed for me. And I do this to remember you. We won't file by. We'll let anyone come when they like and either stand nearby and drink and eat the bread or go back to your seat. You decide how you want to respond in worship. Would you stand and pray with me one more time? Father, I thank you that as we come to this time of coming to your table the way you've told us, that we can come and take this bread and remember your body was broken and take this cup and remember your blood was shed. And I pray today for anyone struggling with personal faith that they could settle it now. And for everyone that knows you, 
that this would be a special time of worship. In Jesus' name, we invite you to come.